pray. Father, I thank you that this morning that truly as your children, there is a place for us in your house, Lord. Lord, it doesn't matter where we find ourselves right now. It doesn't matter what place we're in. It doesn't matter what mistakes we've made, how we've messed up. I thank you this morning, Lord, that your grace, your incredible grace reaches out to us. Lord, some of us have fallen. Lord, you grab us by the scruff and you pick us up. Lord, I thank your grace and your mercy. In fact, Lord, it relentlessly pursues us. When our friends would have given up on us, when hope would have failed, Lord, you come alongside. Lord, you come alongside to comfort us. Lord, to strengthen us. Lord, I pray this morning that from the cross, Calvary's tree, Lord, I ask that, Lord, your, your grace and your mercy, like waves of, of an ocean, Hit in the beach, Lord, I pray that your grace and mercy will flood over us, Lord, washing us clean. Lord, this morning, let your mercy and grace cleanse us from our sin. Let it, Lord, strengthen our weak knees. Let it purify us. Let it encourage us. Lord, I pray the prayer that David prayed after his sin with Bathsheba. Lord, create in us this morning a pure heart. Renew a steadfast spirit within us so that we can be the people of God that you've called us to be and live the life that you've called us to live. Lord, may the words of my mouth, may the meditation of my heart be pleasing and acceptable in your sight. Lord, our rock and our redeemer. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. It's great to be in church this morning. Amen. So I'm going to just crack on and, uh, and just... To share what the Lord has laid on my heart. I want to. I want to share by start by by sharing a story this morning. Start by sharing a story that you may have heard of before, but I thought it was worth just repeating, just to set the scene, that to lay a foundation for what I want to speak about this morning. A father was engrossed in his work, whilst his little daughter constantly distracted him, wanting him to play with her. And so to keep his daughter busy, the father tore into pieces a page of a printed map of the world from a magazine. He then asked his daughter to go to her room and put the pieces of the map back together again. The daughter was very young and the father was sure that it would take her hours to complete the map. Within a few minutes, the father was so surprised to see his little girl come out of her room with a beaming smile on her face and with the map all in one piece. So the stunned father asked his daughter, how did you solve the puzzle so quickly? His daughter said, Daddy, it was easy. There was a picture of a man on the other side of the paper. I didn't know how to put the world together, but I know how to put a man together. Do you know how often, do you know how often, we're all, this, you know, we're all in this book, how often when we're faced with a problem, when we're in a crisis, when it seems as if our world is in pieces, do we look to the world for the answer, world for the answer instead of looking for the man who created the world? You know, gee, I want to say this morning, Jesus our Saviour is sufficient Every problem in life. I mean every problem. All things are under his feet. The Bible says that through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life and that life was the light of all mankind. If you have the life of God in you this morning, you know Jesus wants us to be light in this dark world. But I believe, you know, for, 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 for some of us, maybe all of us, he's got to illuminate our minds and he's got to set our hearts ablaze so we as the people of God can be that city on a hill that he called us to be, amen? You know, when we mess up, don't you think that God knows how to put us back together again? When we go off track and we take a detour and in the, in the ditch somewhere, don't you think that God knows how to put us back on track? Amen? No problem is too difficult for him. All power, all strength, all wisdom and knowledge to deal with any problem, and I mean any problem you're facing in life right now. Problems that nobody else sees, but you're facing a real battle. Nothing's too difficult for him. But I don't know about you, but you know, I was thinking, when I was putting this message together, there's been too many times when I've been faced with a problem that I've run to the wrong places for the answer. And the remedies and the solutions that I've looked for 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 the answer have not necessarily been wrong in themselves but here's the thing when Jesus has been an afterthought and not my, not my first thought when the voice of the Holy Spirit has been drowned out by all the stuff that's inside my head and his promptings unheeded when 
communion with God and, 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 and knowing that I have a creator that I can speak to, I've just ignored. When his word, the eternal word, the truth of God's word, the infallible word is just an afterthought and not my first thought. It's just optional, not essential. It's little wonder why I don't experience the peace and the victory in my life in areas that, that, I, that I should have done. And I'm sure it's the same with all of us. I just want to ask, ask a couple of questions this morning before we go further. What do we allow to frame our world or our reality? What grabs our attention the most? Think about that question. What is it this morning that grabs your attention the most? What has captured your heart the most? What is it? Because the Bible says that where your treasure is, there where your heart is also. If I want to know where your heart is, all I've got to do is look to where your treasure is. And very often, you know, somebody said, you can tell where somebody's heart is by just looking at their bank balance and looking at their calendar. The other question I want to ask, what is, what is our worldview? What are we allowing to shape the way that we view life? Do we view our world? We live in what's called a postmodern world. We no longer live in a modern world. We live in a world where, you know, where the modern world, people held certain and fixed ideas and beliefs. We don't live in that world anymore. We live in what's called a postmodern world. And if you want to be up to date, if you want to be credible with your peers, you have to believe that there's many paths to truth and all of them are equally valid. That's what the world believes. You know, the world, you know, you could talk to somebody about Jesus and they'll say, well, that's okay, that's, that's fine for you. But some still believes this. And their view is as equally as valid as yours. That's the world that we live in. The world can endorse any kind of sin. It can involve itself in anything and find a means to justify it. Isn't that the case? But we as a people of God, we have to be different. We do. God, God doesn't want us to allow the spirit of this world, the spirit of this age to seep into our lives, to affect the, the way we think, to affect our values and beliefs. You know, I was pondering a thought the other day. And I was thinking about an area of my life, and I, I was regarding my life, and I was thinking, Dale, you need to think outside the box. You need to be creative. You need to be imagine, imaginative and unconventional. That's how you need to be. And you know, as I was thinking this, just trying to do something a different way, God said, whoops, sorry, what happened then? Was that me? God said, you don't need to think outside the box. You need to think inside the book. You need, to, you, need to look, you need to look at what I say about you, who you are in me. And you need to look at what, how I want you to live. Whoops, sorry, is that me? In this season of your life, so that you can be prosperous and successful. You know, I, I don't want to bash anyone right now. Have we got the wrong one? Okay. But you know, we run to, we, we, we run to the wrong places to find success. We, we won't find success watching much of the stuff on the telly. You won't find success watching Coronation Street or Love Island, I tell you this now. You, you, I'm not, listen, I'm not saying there's a problem, but listen, you won't find success there. You won't find success on, on TikToker, TikTok, whatever it's called. <laughs> you won't find success on TikToker, I'm going to call it that. Or Facebook, you won't find success there. You know, <laughs> if ever we need to be people of the book, if ever we need to be known as people of God's word, it's today, folks. There was a chap called G.K. Chesterton who said, an author and a Christian who said, do not be so open-minded that your brains are falling out. Do you know the world believes some weird and wacky stuff? And actually, some Christians believe weird and wacky stuff as well. You've only got to go online to, to you know, some of this conspiracy stuff that you read online. It's crazy, just over this COVID stuff. And, and you, know, you know, there are actually people who believe that the earth is flat. Can it, you know, I know a Christian who believes the earth is flat. So, so the sun is round, around, the moon is round, the stars are round, but the earth is flying through space like a frisbee. I don't think that's happening. I don't think it's happening. But folks, listen now. Let's, let's not our minds be so open to the world that it's closed to the word. The Bible says in Romans 1.25, they exchange the truth of, a, of, of God for a lie. And they worship and serve created things rather than the creator. You know, in our world, it seems that everything under the sun has a voice, except for the living God. But things are going to change, folks, I tell you this now. 
There's a great scripture in Ephesians. That it was one of the first verses that I meditated on, and I, I sort of memorized when I was young, that I wanted to hinge my message on, really, this morning. And it's found in Ephesians 1, verses 18 to 19. And it's Paul's heart for the church of Ephesus. It was his prayer for the church, and he says this, I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. You know, Pastor Dave ministered on it a week ago, and he's going to continue this series. Listen, we have an endless hope. We haven't got a hopeless end. We have an endless hope, amen. And God wants to give you and me a hope, not a fickle hope, not a fragmented hope, not a hope that's like a lucky charm. Oh, I hope this thing happens. No, he's going to give us an eternal hope. A real hope. So Paul is praying that the eyes of our hearts may be enlightened in order that we may, may know the hope to which he has called us. The riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and the incomparably great power for us who believe. And here I believe lies a problem for some Christians, maybe us this morning. You see, the eyes of our heart are not enlightened. We, are, we, we don't actually understand, we have no real understanding or illumination of the riches in Christ, what God has given us. When I talk about the riches in Christ, I'm talking about the Holy Spirit, the power and the person of a living God living inside of us. The God's infallible, internal, eternal word we have access to. We have access to God, communion with him in prayer. God's riches in Christ. And some of us, I tell you this, we can believe the lie. We believe this, this notion that it's not enough to meet the needs that we face in our current world. I, I want to say, if you believe that, if you don't believe that the riches of Christ, all that God has given you and me, is not enough to meet your need, I want to tell you this, you need to pack up and go to heaven because it's enough. Jesus is enough. You know, God's word and everything in it, even you know, is, is 100% reliable and 100% truth. Amen? Everything in God's word is truth and it's life. Everything in God's word is backed up by the promise of his name. God is all things to all of us, isn't he? Amen? You know, Jesus, the Bible says, is Jehovah. He's Jehovah Rapha, the Lord who heals. He's Jehovah Jireh, the Lord who provides. He's Jehovah Shalom, the Lord is our peace. He's Jehovah Sekenu, the Lord is our righteousness. He's Jehovah Nissi, the Lord is our banner. He's everything that you need in your situation this morning. Everything. There is, there is peace, provision, protection, healing, deliverance in the name that is above every name today. In the name of Jesus. Do you believe that? Everything you need. I mean Everything. Wherever you are right now in life, God is more than able. He's more than able to deliver you from that trial, that problem, that challenge that you face. God is more than able. But it's on his terms and not your terms. And I want to just, there's a great story in the Bible that demonstrates so powerfully that God is able to meet our needs this morning. And deliver us from any trouble or any trial that we face. And I want to, I just want to read the story that, uh, I'm going to share from this story this morning. It's found in, a, in 2 Kings 6, verses 8 to 23. It's, uh, it's about Elijah and his servant and the army that surrounded them and the chariots of fire. It's a great story. We're going to go through it and with the time we've got remaining. So now the king of Syria, this was Ben-Hadad, was making war against Israel. And he consulted with his servant, saying, My camp will be in such and such a place. And the man of God, Elisha, said to the king of Israel, which was Jehoram, saying, beware that you do not pass this place, for the Syrians are coming down there. Then the king of Israel sent someone to the place which the man of God had told him. Thus he warned him, and he was watchful there, not just once or twice. Therefore the heart of the king of Syria was greatly troubled by this thing, and he called his servants and said to them, will you not show me which of us is for the king of Israel? And one of his servants said, none, my lord, O king, but Elisha the prophet who is in Israel tells the king of Israel the words that you speak in your bedroom. Isn't that wild that God knows the words you speak in your bedroom? He knows the, the, the intimacy of your heart. Isn't that wild? He knows everything. So he, he knows the words that you've spoken in your bedroom. Uh, where am I? I've lost my sp- place. I'm sure I'll find it. 13, is that great? Thank you. So he said, go and see where he is that I might... S- 
that, that I may send and get him. And it was, it was told him, saying, Surely he is in Dothan. Therefore he sent horses and chariots and a great army there. And they came by night and they surrounded the city. And when the servant of the man of God arose early and went out, there was an army surrounding the city with horses and chariots. And his servant said to him, Alas, my master, what shall we do? So he answered, Do not fear, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elijah prayed and said, Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. Then the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw. And behold, the man was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. So when the Syrians came down to him, Elisha prayed to the Lord. And he said, strike this people and I pray with blindness. And he struck them with blindness according to the word of Elisha. Now Elisha said to them, this is not the way, nor is this the city. Follow me and I'll bring you to the man whom you seek. But he led them to Samaria. So it was when he had come to Samaria that Elisha said, Lord, open these eyes of these men that they may see. And the Lord opened their eyes and they saw and there they were inside Samaria. Now, when the king of Israel saw them, he said to Elijah, my father, shall I kill him? Shall I kill them? But he answered, you shall not kill them. Would you kill those whom you've taken captive with your own sword and your bow? Set food and water before them that they may eat and drink and go to their master then he prepared a great feast for them and after they ate and drank he sent them they sent them away and they went to their master so the bands of Syrian raiders came no more into the land of Israel in this story we see that Elijah is faced like maybe you this morning with a major crisis he is surrounded by a foreign army that wants to take him captive and when the servant of Elijah goes out in the morning, and sees this horde of enemy soldiers on chariots and horses surrounding the city, he freaks out, he panics. And he, he, he runs to Elijah and said, Master, Master, what are we going to do? As I was reading that, I felt this morning, you may be here. And, and if I were to encapsulate the cry of your heart this morning, it's this, God, what am I going to do? You're in a situation this morning, and maybe nobody else knows about it. Only you. But you're in a situation where it seems as if you can go forward and you can go back. You have no means, you have no power, you have no ability within yourself to get out of the situation. In fact, the harder you try, the worse it gets. It's like as if you're an animal caught in a snare. The more that you tug to get away, the tighter the grip that this thing has on you. That's how you may feel this morning. I want to say, God has the answer. God wants you to know this morning that he has the answer in your situation, but you have to trust him. Not rely on your own strength or somebody else's, but you have to trust him implicitly in 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 the problem and in this trial that you're in. You know, not many of us have woken up this morning to an army camped on, or an enemy camped on our doorstep wanting to take us captive, have we? At least I haven't. But I tell you, in this world that we live in today, we've all woken up to a hidden enemy, a silent enemy that wants to take our bodies captive. Or if not, our bodies more so, our minds through fear and anxiety and worry about what the future's going to hold. You know, as economists tell us, we're going to be, you know, we're falling into this recession. Or maybe about catching this virus. But I believe this morning, God wants to settle our hearts. He wants to give us a hope in the knowledge that he is in control. Amen. And he can deliver you through any trial and any problem, any challenge that you're facing right now. Amen? There are two main themes that you see, a thread running through this story. And I just want to share on the, with the time that i got left. And the first one is this. God is all sufficient to meet our need. You know, the Psalm 46 says that God is our refuge and our strength and our ever-present help in the time of trouble. Isn't that awesome to know? You know, God isn't just ever-present. He's not, I know somebody, and I talk to this person regularly, and he believes that God is in everything. He's like in the atoms of the chair, and he's in the atoms of, well, well okay. But God isn't, he's not a mystical God. He's not ethereal. He's not just like floating around somewhere. He's not dispassionate or reluctant to, to, to help you. He wants to help you. Do you know that? He wants to help you this morning. He really, really does. And he just doesn't want to help you when things are going okay. When things are the worst that they can be, the worst of the worst, the Bible says he's not just our present help, he's our present help in the times of trouble. God is with you in trouble, amen? The we, and the reason why we can trust God implicitly this morning to be our ever-present help and strength and our refuge is because God isn't just ever-present, he's all-knowing and he's all-powerful. 
He's not just all present, he's all knowing and he's all powerful. Do you know God knows and things all know things and possesses all wisdom? In this story, we see that the Syrian king Ben Haddad was plan- uh, we see what the Syrian king Ben Haddad was planning to do. And he, so, he, he, so he tells Elijah, who in turn tells Jehoram, the king of Israel. You know, Ben Haddad thought that he had a spy in his camp. He did. And so his servant says to him, Well, Oh, oh, king, but Elijah the prophet who was in Israel tells the king of Israel the words that you speak in your bedroom. You know, I was watching a documentary recently about the footballer Paul Gascoigne. Anybody heard of him? He's a daft as a brush, that fellow, isn't he? But he's still going strong, bless him. But, you know, I was, he was saying about how the, he was saying when he was playing football, the press had tapped into his phone line and been listening to conversations that he was having with his family for 11 years. Can you imagine that? 11 years. So he'd say something, he'd speak to his mum or his dad, and if it was anything juicy, anything that the press thought was worth reporting, it'd be in the paper. And he thought that, he thought that the, his family was selling stories to the press. You know what I, th- I thought? You know, the enemy would love to dish up some dirt on you and me this morning. He really would. He, listen, he'd love to shame us and undermine us. He loved us as the people of God to lose our credibility. That's why as the people of God, the Bible says the enemy, we need to be sober and vigilant in these days because the Bible says the enemy prowls around like, he's not a roaring lion, but like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. We just have to be careful. Listen, but the great thing is God is watching our back, amen. God is for, listen, you know God knows the best about us and the worst about us and he still loves us. God knows this morning the skeletons in your cupboard. I tell you, he knows them. We've all gone quiet now. And listen, don't get shaking somebody else's cupboard, opening their cupboard, when there's a skeleton rattling in your own cupboard. Do you know, he knows the best about us, and he knows the worst about us. But God is, is always a million steps ahead of the devil, you know that? Talking about tapping into phone lines, you know, FBI, I need to say MI5. Oh, I could have said MI5. What's FBI? That's, that's the American people, isn't it? They've got nothing on God. God has tapped into every conversation and listened to every word that you've ever spoken. And not only that, he knows the thoughts and the, and the attitudes behind those words. Isn't that a wild thought? He knows your secrets. He knows where you keep your secret stash of chocolates, you tinkers, you. You know, you, did you do it away from your kids and, and your family? You keep that little bar of chocolate? He knows where you keep it. In that box of cereal, you know, under the packet that nobody else eats. He sees, he knows everything about us. He knows that, that, that debt you're in, you haven't told your partner about. He knows about that illicit affair. He knows everything about us, yet he still loves us. Listen, God doesn't hoodwink sin. He doesn't sweep her under the carpet. But one thing I know about God is where sin abounds, you know, his grace and his mercy and his love so much more abounds. And I know this also, when we're faithful and just to forgive us, our, uh, 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 you know, he's, he, when we're faithful and just, and we confess our sins. He is faithful and just so he to forgive us and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Amen. You know, in this story, we see that Ben Hadda was stupid enough to think that he could send an army to take Elijah captive without God knowing about it and without God giving Elijah the heads up. You know, God will give you the heads up in these days. Do you know that? Do you believe that? God will give you, you know, God can give you a word of wisdom. You can be reading a book, you can be, and God will download something from heaven into your spirit, and you think, that's it. That is the way. That's the answer. That's, that's, that, it, just, it just changes everything. And God, this morning, he may want to do that for you as you read it. He'll give you the answer to your problem. You've been musing over and, 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 and you know, puzzling over for a long, long time. God will give you the answer. He'll just drop it in your spirit. But it's in his time, not necessarily your time. But, there, you know, there are time when, times when God will give us the heads up. You know, we've all been in situations, haven't we, where we've, we, you know, we've, there's God's had a plan and we've stepped out. And as soon as we stepped out and we just, we just don't get a piece, we can't, we can't put a finger on it, we can't articulate it, but we just, there's a check in our spirit and it stops us. That's God giving us, giving us the heads up. It's God stopping us from running ahead and, and landing in a load of trouble. God will give us the heads up. And I, and I said this early on. You know, for some of us this morning, God may have a big stop sign in front of us saying, look, stop. Because you're forging ahead, you're running ahead at 100 miles an hour. And listen, and he's saying, stop. Listen, if you, I implore you, stop. Because if you don't stop, you might end up in a ditch somewhere. You might come you know, off the road and, and end, end up crashing your life. Stop and listen to what he has to say to you. You know, but when you look, look at this story, you see that... that 
the enemy came knocking on Elijah's door. Now, Elijah, what an awesome prophet this man was. Oh, I love reading about this fella. The enemy were in his face. They came knocking at his door. Now, Elijah had a number of options. He could have done a runner. I don't know about you, but if there was an enemy, if there was thousands of enemy soldiers wanting to take me, I don't think I'd have stayed in my house. And Elijah could have done a runner. He could have gone into hiding. He could have gone into lockdown. But he didn't. And listen, I'm not knocking lockdown. You know, our circumstances and situations are different. If you have to go into lockdown because of the people you're with, then that's cool. But I tell you this, God doesn't want us to hide away in fear or hide away in denial. Amen? He doesn't want us to do that. But Elijah, this man, talking about levels, talking about operating on a different level, this man was able to see in a realm, he was able to see in a realm that was more real than the physical realm that he was living in. Man, I want to go into that realm. Do you? I want to access that realm. What a difference between the Elisha's demeanor and the servant's demeanor. They were both, do you know, they were both going through the same trial. They faced the same enemy. They were in the same city, but actually they were in a different place. You see, Elisha's servant was in a place of fear, but Elisha was in a place of faith. Elisha's servant was running around panicking. Oh, master, master, what are we going to do? But Elisha there, cool, calm and collected. Lord, just open his eyes. Show him it's more than that's on our side. And maybe this morning you're in a situation where you feel, you know, you've just been bombarded with stuff. Life, there's just been an onslaught of stuff. And you're just there ready to wave the the white flag of surrender. Listen, gird up your loins. Trust God because he wants to open your eyes to show you there's more to stand on your side. And you're on the victory side in Jesus' name. Amen. God is going to do it for you. Listen, there was a, a guy called D.L. Moody said, don't throw away your ticket when the train is in the middle of the tunnel. When it's darkest the most, keep hold of what God has told you. Amen. Don't let go of it. Don't let go of it. You know, what a difference. You know, the, listen, it, it doesn't matter what place you're in right now. It doesn't matter. You know, it, it's not about what's on the outside that really matters. It's what's on the inside that matters. It's what's on the inside that really matters. I was like surfing the net recently, as they call it, and, uh, and I came across this sort of interesting but trivial fact. Anybody got any ideas what is the safest country in the world to live in? Anybody got any ideas? Well, I know, I know the answer anyway. So, According to the Global Peace Index, Iceland is apparently, I think for 10 years on the top, it's been the safest place on the planet to live. But here's the point really I want to make. is you could, If you're controlled by a spirit of fear, you could go to Iceland and you'd be worried about something. You would. You'd be worried about a snow player running you over. Or, being, or a volcano exploding. Or running into a geezer. I don't mean like a dodgy geezer. A bit of this, a bit of that. What, what. I don't mean that sort of geezer. I mean, a, oh, what a geezer. You could also go Maybe you could, yeah. Off-grid in Alaska, that'd be another one. But listen, if you're controlled by fear, it doesn't matter where you live. You'd be frightened that a bear would run you over, uh, run you over, would eat you. He might even run you over, I don't know. But God wants to, wants to take us from a place of fear to a place of faith. How does he do that? By opening our spiritual eyes. Paul prayed, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. Uh, so I just want to, just look at the wisdom of God in this story. God, God is a God of wisdom and knowledge. He's all-knowing. God has many days, ways of dealing with a problem. And we can't put God in a box, can we? And maybe you're here this morning and you're expecting God to deal with your problem, solve your problem your way, when you may be waiting a long time. Because God's ways are far better than our ways. You need to trust him, not just try and work this thing out yourself. But God, so God's got many ways. And what's interesting in this story, that God, you know, God could have wiped out his, the, the enemy in a moment. He could have done and what's quite interesting about the story is that later on, not long after this event, one angel in one night slew 185 Assyrian soldiers in one night. God could have wiped this enemy out in a moment, but he chose a different way. Through his grace, his mercy and love, he chose a different way to deal with Ben-Hadad, the Syrian king, and also Jehoram, the king of Israel, because he wanted to show them some things about himself. And he, wanted to fulf- and he also had a plan for those nations that he wanted to fulfill. You know, what we're going through at the moment, uh, you know, God could, God could deal within a second. He could. There is, you know, there is a shaking that's taking place in this world. I don't know if you know that, but there is, isn't there? You know, 
the kingdoms of this world, the things that men and women rely on and put their hope on and put their trust in are being shaken. You know, there is a shaking taking place and that shaking is going to increase, I believe. That's not being doom and gloom because we as a people of God do not have to be afraid. We do not have to worry. But there is a shaking taking place. God is, is shaking. There's a shaking going on. As Jerry Lee Lewis said, there's a shaking going on. But listen, when every kingdom that can be shaken is shaken, there is one kingdom that will remain. That's the kingdom of our God and his Christ. Amen? But, but it is God and not the devil that's doing the shaking. Why is he allowing the shaking? When we see all this stuff that's going on in our world, God is allowing the shaking to show men and women that what they're building their lives upon, what they're resting their hopes upon is unstable. This stuff is unstable. God is allowing the shaking, I believe, to soften men and women's hearts, to show them that, this, that, that, that what they're reliant on, what they're building their dreams on, is just, is just sinking sand. And that God, in all this stuff, is giving them a time, he's giving them a window to repent and accept him as a saviour. And to, to build their lives on the rock that is Christ. Amen? You know, God will protect every single one of us as his people. Until the day that he calls us home. Do you believe that? It doesn't matter what you're going through. It doesn't matter what trial or problem. God is going to protect you. If you trust him, the key is trusting in him. God is going to protect us. Psalm 34 verse 7 says, The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him, and he delivers them. God is protecting us even when we're not aware of it. Elijah's servant slept like a baby, unaware. Yes, there was an army outside, an enemy that wanted to take them captive, but there was an angelic host flames of fire that were there protecting them so um you know you might be thinking well you know that's not my experience when you read the word you think yeah okay you see it in the bible that's not my experience you know what about christians that go through horrendous problems and trials what about people who suffer and die for the face where was god's protection then do you know there's an interesting little fact in this story that's worth noting really that elijah and his servant they were in a place called dothan the enemy camped around them, wanted to take them captive in a place called Dothan. Dothan is only mentioned one other time in the Bible. Dothan was a place where Joseph went to find his brothers when his father told him to look for them. Dothan was a place through their anger and jealousy, they threw him into the pit and they sold him into slavery into Egypt. Dothan. Now, now Joseph was a dreamer. He was a visionary. He was able to see into a realm that, that not all of us see into. But in that place, in that pit in Dothan, or in a prison in Egypt, Joseph didn't see a vision of angels protecting him. He didn't see chariots of fire, but God's protection was there. And do you know what? Many years later, when Joseph became prime minister and second in command of the greatest civilization the world has ever known, with his brothers bowing before him, he was able to say, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. In all that stuff, in all that, Joseph could see God's sovereign hand directing his feet and and organizing the events of his life. Isn't that wild? And, and yes, we don't have all the answers to why. Why is it that people die bef- young? Why is it we don't know? And I want to share a story if I've got time in, 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 later on, just, to, just to, to make that point. But listen, one thing I do know, God works everything together for the good of those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. Amen? Amen? Listen, you may never get a vision of angels surrounding you, but you may. The Bible says we entertain angels unawares. But God's protection is around and about you. Do you know that? Amen? So with the time I got... Left, I want to just share some, just how, we, how do we access the all-sufficiency of God? We access that through prayer, through communion with him. Amen? You know, prayer should be our first thought and not our last thought, not our last resort. You know, prayer shouldn't be something after we've, like, phoned a friend or spoken to somebody or, or surfed the net for an answer, then we think, oh, we've got to pray. No, we should be praying. We should be people of prayer. If, do you want to, know, want to know that God's will for your life? 1 Thessalonians says, five, five, uh, chapter 5, verses 16 to 18 says, Be joyful always. Pray continually. Prayer is not just a place. It's a posture, isn't it? It's an attitude. It's being in communion with God as we go about our day-to-day business. Prayer should be like the air we breathe. You know, we, can't, we only live, what, minutes, two minutes, three minutes without air? And it's the same with prayer. If we do not pray... We, can, we will die spiritually. We can never experience this, the nearness of God, his peace, his pr- provision, that wisdom that he wants to give us if we don't pray. Some things about prayer that you can notice in this story that we read in the story. Right, time is cracking on. Firstly, prayer opens our eyes to a spiritual reality. Most of us determine reality 
by, by our physical senses, by what we see, by what we hear, by what we touch, by what we smell and by what we, we taste. You know, that's, that's for most of us. We live in this realm, but that's not a real reality. You know, there's a, there's a greater reality than that. You see, for Elisha's servant, his reality was thousands of enemy soldiers mounted on war horses that could wipe them out in a moment. But Elisha's reality was a mighty army of angels, flames of fire that could consume the flesh and blood of an earthly army in a moment. In a moment. Their angels were there all along. They were there. The problem was Elijah's servant didn't have eyes to see them. But him not seeing them didn't make them any less real. But it was Elisha's prayer that opened his eyes to that spiritual realm. Isn't that wild? The spiritual realm is the ultimate reality. It's more real than the world that we, that we, we perceive with our physical senses. You know, the Apostle Paul knew how to tap into that realm. That's why he said in Ephesians 6, the struggle or the battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against authorities, and against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces, these entities of evil in the heavenly realms. How do we, how do we come against those enemies? How do we, how do we come, combat these forces through prayer? I was saying this morning in Psalm 149 that it says that we bind these spiritual entities as we praise and worship God. That's so, it's so important. Yes, it's, it's, it's so wonderful. and What a privilege to praise and worship the living God. How, how awesome is that? But listen, when we're praising and giving glory to God, we're actually binding entities in, this, in the heavenly realms. Isn't that a wild thought? You know, let me just share this story. There was a missionary to Africa who was speaking at his home church in the United States. And he was telling this church about how he would travel by bicycle through the jungle of a nearby city for supplies. It was a two-day trip that required camping overnight. And when he got to the city, he would go to the bank, get money, and buy medicine and supplies to take back. One of these trips, he saw two men fighting who had been badly injured. So the missionary treated his wounds and witnessed to him about Jesus. He returned home without incident, and on the next trip to town, the man he had treated came up to him and said that he knew he had been carrying money and supplies. And so him and five of his friends followed him into the jungle, planning to kill him and take his money and drugs. But just as they were ready to move to kill him, they saw that he was surrounded by 26 armed guards. When the missionary heard this, he laughed and said, I was all alone out there in the jungle campsite. But the man insisted, no, not only I, but my, also my five friends saw and counted 26 guards. Because of them, we were afraid and we left you alone. So at this point, when the missionary was telling the story in his church, a man jumped to his feet and asked, can you tell me the exact day this took place? And the missionary thought for a moment and was able to give him the exact date. The man in the church continued, when it is night in Africa, it is morning here. That morning, I was praying, playing, preparing to play golf. And as I was putting my golf bag in my car, I felt the Lord leading me to pray for you. This urging was so strong that I called the men in the church to meet here and to pray for you. Would all of the men in this church please stand up? Altogether, 26 men were standing. Now, I, folks... I don't know how this works. And whether those 26 angels were guardian angels of those men and just had to take a bit of a detour for a bit to sort this fellow out in the jungle. But one thing I know is that, you know, this spiritual realm is very, very real. Amen? It's real. Prayer opens our eyes to spiritual reality. Prayer gives us wisdom for dealing with trials. In this story, we see such a contrast between the panic of Elijah's servant and the peace of Elisha. You see, they both loved God. But only one of them was connected. It's not a wild thought. They both, you may love Jesus here this morning, but are you connected? Yes, you love him, you're grafted into the vine, but are you connected? Are you able to, you know, do you commune with him? Do you, do you listen to him? Do you listen to what he says? Do you listen to his spirit? Do you read his word? There was only one connected. When it comes to salvation, I'm oh, sorry, I'm on a different bit here. I might have to leave that bit. If we pray, I believe this, if we're people of prayer, and we commune with God. Do you know, I believe that God will give us unusual wisdom to deal with trials that we face right now in our world. You know, that when the world is stumbling around in a darkness, looking to answers to this pandemic and all the social and economic and, and political problems that are going on in the world. Do you know, God can give us unusual wisdom. He will give us. He will show us. I believe this with all my heart. You don't have to panic. He will show you what to do at the right time in the situation you face. Don't worry about it. God wants you to know this morning, don't worry i not be happy, but don't worry. Because God's going to show you. His grace is sufficient for today. Don't worry about tomorrow. Today. Amen? Do you know, when the plagues came against Egypt, Egypt was in darkness, wasn't it? There was a plague, darkness in Egypt. But you know where the people of God were? They were in Goshen. 
When it was darkness in Egypt, Goshen was in light. The people, the Israel went around doing their day-to-day stuff in light. God wants to, I believe this, in this dark world that we live, God will illuminate our lives. Do you know what Goshen means? This is a great thought. Do you know Goshen means a place of comfort and plenty? Even in a time of darkness, God will illuminate your life and provide for you and give you rest. Isn't that a wild thought? So prayer opens our eyes to spiritual reality. Prayer gives us wisdom for dealing with trials. I'm going to end on this one. When trials hit, we're to pray and not panic. Listen, God, this is a word for somebody. Stop, stop panicking and start praying. And it, it might not be a long, you know, convoluted prayer. Just, 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 just pray. God, please help me. Maybe it's been a long time, you know, where you prayed a prayer like that. Just ask him. Cry out to him. The righteous cry out to the Lord. He hears them, the Bible says. He delivers them from all their troubles. There are some troubles that God will take us through. There are others he'll take us out of. But I'm telling you this, God will turn out if you pray. Amen? So when trials hit with a pray, not panic, Philippians 4 says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God and the peace of God. Listen, God wants to give us a peace in this time. Pray. Elisha's servant went to bed peaceful, oblivious of what was lying ahead of him. When he saw the enemy soldiers surrounding him, his peace quickly evaporated into panic. You know, I think the world, it's, you know, it has like a, a sort of a, a false peace. Have you ever been on a train and you're there, you're on the train, you get on board the train, you're there, sat in the seat, and you're drinking your coffee, you're looking at the, the window, admiring the scenery, and then there's an announcement over the tunnel. Like, you're going to be in Bristol Temple Meads in 20 minutes. Bristol Temple Meads, I need to be in Cardiff Central in 10 minutes. You're going the wrong way on the, on the wrong train. Ever been in a situation like that? The world is heading in a direction. It's heading to a lost eternity. It doesn't even know it. But it's up to us to tell them, isn't it? Amen? It's up to us to go out there and to tell them. If I've got time, I'm going to share some stuff. I don't know whether I'm going to have time. But listen, when we're in a time of crisis, we're to pray and not panic. Elisha went to bed peaceful, oblivious of what was lying ahead of him. But listen, when we pray... No matter what happens, you know, when you pray, listen, nothing takes God by surprise. He's gone before you and he's provided for you. You know, somebody said this. He said, we'll never rely on the supernatural until the natural ends. We've all been in situations in our lives where it appears as if what we have, naturally speaking, is nowhere near. It falls woefully short to meet the need that we're in. Have you been there? We've all been there, haven't we? I want to share the story about that. I was in a situation where... Well, I was in panic, to be honest. and I shared it this morning, but I think it was only, you know, once I've shared this really, I've shared it with close friends. But when our, our boy Josh was just a few months old, I can remember one afternoon coming home from work, I was so excited to see him. He was a couple of months old. We lived in a, like a, a, a mid-link sort of house and we used to keep him in his little Moses basket under the stairs, like a stairwell, not with a padlock, like a door and a padlock on it, one like that. <laughs> I said, this one sounds a bit bad when you say that. I kept my boy under the stairs. He only a few months old. But anyway, he was under the stairs in his little mosey basket. I remember coming home from work. I so, you know, he still wanted to see him. And I remember saying, well, I was all right if I, you know, pick him up. And give him. Yeah, he's Jewish feed. So I went to the basket, went to the mosey basket, t- t- tapped him on the face. Josh, Josh, it was nothing. I thought, oh, he must be in a deep sleep. I picked him up. And then I said, Josh, it was nothing. And, and I sort of shook, you know, you don't shit, but shook, Josh. There was nothing. He was like, like that. He was limp. And it was as if there was no life in him. There was just no life in him. He didn't feel cold or anything, but there was just no life in him. Josh, Josh. There was nothing there. And then Alison, Alison had, had Josh, and, I, and she said, we need to phone an ambulance. We need to phone an ambulance. And, and it was like panic. I was in panic mode. I remember going upstairs. I can't remember, but instinctively, in that panic, and I think this is the thing, in panic, you can actually pray, can't you? Instinctively, I started to pray Psalm 91. He who dwells in the shelter of the most high will rest in the shadow of the mighty. I will say to the Lord, he's my refuge and my fortress, my God in all my trust. Surely, Joshua, you will save me from the foulness now. And I went to the prayer. And as I'm praying this prayer, and it seemed like it was an eternity, it seemed like it was an age, as I came down the stairs, Al said, he's woken up, he's woken up. Do you know, we've discussed this, Al and I, we discussed it just the other week when we were away, and we were discussing this, and Josh was with us, actually. He actually brought this up. You know, I believe that if that had happened in the dead of night when we'd have been asleep, Josh would never have woken up. So what prompted, us, what prompted me to, who prompted me to go to the, to, the, to the, you know, the Moses basket and to pick him up? Who prompted us to pray? That was the Lord. See, he sees the enemy. 
He sees the dangers of lurking in the shadows. He sees them. He, you know, listen, he sees that we can go to bed tonight, right? And I want to end on this. I've got two minutes. We, went, we can go to bed tonight with our best laid plans for tomorrow. We can. Life is fragile. In a moment, bang, they can be thrown up in the air like, like leaves blown in, this, in the wind we've had. Can it? And that's why, listen, we, we, we have this propensity as human beings to think we're going to live on this, on this planet forever. We do. We, 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 do th- we think like that, don't we? we? We hold on to what we have. We're like hoarders. We all, we'll hold on to stuff. But God is saying, no, don't hold on to this life. Don't hold on to this world. The Bible says, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. It bears much fruit. And, and I want to just share this story on ending. And, and it just sort of compliments what you may be thinking. Well, yeah, that's okay. We can read about you know, how God protected Elijah and the chariots and fire. Is that real? Yeah, it's real. And I want to just share, just on closing, a story about a man. Anybody heard of a, a man called William Borden? You may have heard of it. You've probably heard of the, the, sort of like the, the, the words that follow his story, if not, if not his life story. But this young man was just 16 years of age. Um, he was, he was, uh, when he graduated from high school in Chicago, he was heir to a big family fortune. And uh, as a graduation present, his mum and dad sent him around the world. And this, this young man travelled to Asia and the Middle East and Europe. He felt such a growing burden and a desire to, to reach, reach and to touch the hurting people of, of the world. And, and so he decided, he told his fam, um, family and friends he's going to become a missionary. And the, the story, and his family and friends thought, and his father, parents and his mum and dad thought, you're throwing your life away, son, there's no way. And in response to his friend's words and his family's words, he wrote these two words in his Bible, no reserves. So then William went to Yale University and he was disappointed in Yale and he saw, he was so excited to go there, but he was disappointed and he saw the humanistic philosophy that was being taught in the classroom and all the moral weakness and all the sin and all that stuff. And so born with his heart fully surrendered to Jesus, set up prayer meetings and outreaches on the Yale campus to win the lost students to Jesus. In his senior year at university, a thousand of Yale's 1,300 students were meeting for prayer. So there was, it was a secular school. It wasn't, this wasn't a, like a Christian Bible school. So a thousand of the 1,300 students were actually meeting in prayer. It's now well. Uh, so when, then it says uh, he re- rescued drunks from the street. Borden didn't just reach out to students. He rescued drunks from the street and tried to rehabilitate them. Uh, and he set, uh, and he, so he set up a mission group. Our mission. One of Borden's friends said he might often he might often be found in the lower parts of the city at night on the street in a cheap lodging house or in a, rest, in a restaurant, which had taken some poor hungry fellow to feed them and tell them about Jesus. But upon graduating from Yale, Borden turned down some high-paying job offers. His father was so angry with him that he told him that he would never work in his company again. It, it was reported that William Borden wrote out more two words in his Bible. So alongside the words "no reserve," he wrote the words "no retreats." After carrying out further graduate work at Princeton Seminary, he sailed for China because he longed to reach the Muslims there. On his way, he stopped in Egypt to learn Arabic. While he was there, he contracted spinal meningitis, and within a month, Borden was dead at the age of just 25. When William Borden's death was cabled back to the States, the story was carried by nearly every American newspaper, and a wave of sorrow went around the world for this young man. Was Borden's untimely death a waste not in God's perspective as the story has it prior to his death Borden had written two more words in the back of his Bible underneath the words no reserves and no retreats he is reported to have written no regrets Borden's death inspired thousands of young men and women to surrender their lives to Jesus and to give themselves to reach the nations of the world for him you see his death produced more fruit in his life unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies his will distributed nearly everything to mission groups and Christian ministries, leaving him only a cement slab as a gravestone. I love this, this. It says, engraved on the bottom of the gravestone were these words uttered in his memorial. Apart from Christ, there is no explanation for such a life. The people look at our lives, are they perplexed, are they bemused and thinking, what is going on there? Like, why are they serving? Why have they a peace? What, when all this stuff is... People should look at our life and, and, and just like Borden, they should be thinking, what, you know, what, what be, just not, and have no answers. But there is an answer, isn't there? And this is why in these days, I believe, 
But listen, we haven't got to try and fake it. God will give us a peace. You know, a light doesn't pretend to be light. It is light, isn't it? You know, you just got to, you just got to start shining. Just being the person that God wants you to be. The world should look at our lives, our service and our sacrifice, and be inspired. Let, folks, this is not the time to hold back. This is not the time to live cautiously. This is the time to live full out for Jesus. Where he's placed us. You haven't got to be a missionary in Africa. You haven't got to go to the Congo. Or you haven't got to go to, to, to China or whatever. It's what, your mission field is where God has placed you today. Amen. William born and lived full and he died empty. That's how God wants us to live. It's not about... We're just chatting to, to Davis. It's, it's not about, you know, we're saying about living 80 years and, and living like, like half of that and regret. Listen, it's not about the quantity of life we live. It's about the quality of life. Jesus is going to protect us until the day we go home. I tell you this now. Pandemic or no pandemic. Problem, trial, re- depression or no depression or recession, whatever it is. God is going to protect you. Hallelujah. Amen. Let's just pray. Let's just pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you this morning that, Lord, truly, Lord, you are with us. Lord, I thank you that, Lord, as your word declares, that you send your angels concerning us to guard us. Lord, I thank you that the spiritual realm is more real than this realm that we're living in right now. Lord, as someone said, we're not human beings having a brief spiritual experience. We're spirit beings having a brief human experience. Lord, let us to live this life, Lord, full on for you. Lord, you've not given us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of love, power, and a sound mind. I pray as we go out of this place this morning that, Lord, those fears that we have will, will dissolve. Lord, and, we'll, and, and peace will take its place in our hearts and lives. Lord, may the grace of God, may the grace of God and the fellowship, Lord, Lord, let us not ignore your Holy Spirit, but let, let us experience your peace, your comfort. Let, let the Holy Spirit, I'm asking this morning that you guide us. That you, Lord, those who are fearful, Lord, take away their fear. Lord, you can do it in a moment. This peace that transcends all understanding, Lord. Take the fear away and give people peace. Open the eyes of their heart. May their hearts be enlightened this morning that they may know the hope to which you call them, the riches of your glorious inheritance. And this power, the power that the world knows nothing of, Lord, for us in Christ. Lord, let us operate in this power. In Jesus' name I ask it. And everybody said, Amen. 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 Amen.